Absolute Surrender by Andrew Murray. And Ben-Hadad, the king of Syria, gathered all his host together, and there were thirty and two kings with him, and horses and chariots. And he went up and besieged Samaria, and warred against it. And he sent messengers to Ahab, king of Israel, into the city, and said unto him, Thus saith Ben-Hadad, Thy silver and thy gold is mine, thy wives also and thy children, even the goodliest are mine. And the king of Israel answered and said, My lord, O king, according to thy saying, I am thine and all that I have. First Kings 20, 1 through 4. Ahab gave what was asked of him by Ben-Hadad, absolute surrender. I want to use these words, My Lord, O King, according to thy saying, I am thine and all that I have, as the words of absolute surrender, with which every child of God ought to yield himself to his Father. We have heard it before, but we need to hear it very definitely. The condition of God's blessing is absolute surrender of all into His hands. Praise God. If our hearts are willing for that, there is no end to what God will do for us and to the blessing God will bestow. Absolute surrender. Let me tell you where I got those words. I use them myself often, and you have heard them numerous times. But once in Scotland, I was in a company where we were talking about the condition of Christ's church and what the great need of the church and of believers is. There was in our company a godly Christian worker who has much to do in training other workers for Christ. And I asked him what he would say was the great need of the church, the message that ought to be preached. He answered very quietly and simply and determinedly. Absolute surrender to God is the one thing. The words struck me as never before, and that man began to tell how, in the Christian workers with whom he had to deal, he finds that if they are sound on that point, they are willing to be taught and helped, and they always improve, whereas others who are not sound there very often go back and leave the work. The condition for obtaining God's full blessing is absolute surrender to Him. And now I desire, by God's grace, to give to you this message, that your God in heaven answers the prayers which you have offered for blessing on yourselves and for blessing on those around you by this one demand. Are you willing to surrender yourselves absolutely into His hands? What is our answer to thee? God knows there are hundreds of hearts who have said it, and there are hundreds more who long to say it but hardly dare to do so. And there are hearts who have said it but who have yet miserably failed and who feel themselves condemned because they did not find the secret of the power to live that life. May God have a word for all. Let me say first of all that God claims it 
from us. God expects your surrender. Yes, and it has its foundation in the very nature of God. God cannot do otherwise. Who is God? He is the fountain of life, the only source of existence and power and goodness. Throughout the universe, there is nothing good but what God works. God has created the sun, the moon, the stars, the flowers, the trees, and the grass. Are they not all absolutely surrendered to God? Do they not allow God to work in them just what He pleases? When God clothes the lily with its beauty, is it not yielded up, surrendered, given over to God as He works in it its beauty? And God's redeemed children. Oh, can you think that God can do His work if there is only half or a part of them surrendered? God cannot do it. God is life, love, blessing, power, and infinite beauty. And God delights in communicating Himself to every child who is prepared to receive Him. But ah! This one lack of absolute surrender is just the thing that hinders God. And now He comes. And as God, He claims it. You know in daily life what absolute surrender is. You know that everything has to be given up to its special, definite object and service. I have a pen in my pocket, and that pen is absolutely surrendered to the one work of writing. That pen must be absolutely surrendered to my hand if I am to write properly with it. If another holds it partly, I cannot write properly. This coat is absolutely given up to me to cover my body. This building is entirely given up to religious services. And now, do you expect that in your immortal being, in the divine nature that you have received by regeneration, God can work His work every day and every hour, unless you are entirely given up to Him? God cannot. The temple of Solomon was absolutely surrendered to God when it was dedicated to Him. And every one of us is the temple of God in which God will dwell and work mightily on one condition, absolute surrender to Him. God claims it. God is worthy of it. And without it, God cannot work His blessed work in us. God not only claims it, but God will work it Himself. God accomplishes your surrender. I am sure there is many a heart that says, Ah, but that absolute surrender implies so much. Someone says, Oh, I have passed through so much trial and suffering, and there is so much of the self-life still remaining. I dare not face entirely giving it up, because I know it will cause so much trouble and agony. Alas, alas, that God's children have such thoughts of Him, such cruel thoughts. 
I come with a message to those who are fearful and anxious. God does not ask you to give the perfect surrender in your strength or by the power of your will. God is willing to work it in you. Do we not read, It is God that worketh in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Philippians 2.13 And that is what we should seek. To go on our faces before God until our hearts learn to believe that the everlasting God himself will come in to turn out what is wrong. He will conquer what is evil and work what is well-pleasing in his blessed sight. God himself will work it in you. Look at the men in the Old Testament, like Abraham. Do you think it was by accident that God found that man, the father of the faithful and the friend of God? Do you think that it was Abraham himself, apart from God, who had such faith and such obedience and such devotion? You know it is not so. God raised him up and prepared him as an instrument for his glory. Did God not say to Pharaoh, For this cause have I raised thee up, for to show in thee my power? Exodus 9.16 And if God said that of him, will God not say it far more of every child of his? Oh, I want to encourage you, and I want you to cast away every fear. Come with that feeble desire. If there is the fear which says, Oh, my desire is not strong enough. I am not willing for everything that may come. And I do not feel bold enough to say I can conquer everything. I implore you, learn to know and trust your God now. Say, My God, I am willing that you should make me willing. If there is anything holding you back or any sacrifice you are afraid of making, come to God now and prove how gracious your God is. Do not be afraid that he will command from you what he will not bestow. God comes and offers to work this absolute surrender in you. All these searchings and hungerings and longings that are in your heart, I tell you, they are the drawings of the divine magnet, Christ Jesus. He lived a life of absolute surrender. He has possession of you. He is living in your heart by his Holy Spirit. You have hindered and hindered him terribly. But he desires to help you to get a hold of him entirely. And he comes and draws you now by his message and words. Will you not come and trust God to work in you that absolute surrender to himself? Yes, blessed be God. He can do it and he will do it. God not only claims it and works it, but God accepts it when we bring it to him. God accepts your surrender. God works it in the secret of our heart. God urges us by the hidden power of his Holy Spirit to come and speak it out. And we have to bring and yield to him that absolute surrender. But remember, 
When you come and bring God that absolute surrender, it may, as far as your feelings or your consciousness go, be a thing of great imperfection. You may doubt and hesitate and say, Is it absolute? But, oh, remember, there was once a man to whom Christ had said, If thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. Mark 9:23. And his heart was afraid, and he cried out, Lord, I believe. Help thou mine unbelief. Mark nine twenty four. That was a faith that triumphed over Satan, and the evil spirit was cast out. And if you come and say, Lord, I yield myself in absolute surrender to my God, even though you do so with a trembling heart and with a consciousness, I do not feel the power. I do not feel the determination. I do not feel the assurance. It will succeed. Do not be afraid, but come just as you are, even in the midst of your trembling. The power of the Holy Spirit will work. Have you not yet learned the lesson that the Holy Spirit works with mighty power, while on the human side everything appears feeble? Look at the Lord Jesus Christ in Gethsemane. We read that He, through the Eternal Spirit, Hebrews 9.14, offered Himself a sacrifice unto God. The Almighty Spirit of God was enabling Him to do it. And yet what agony and fear and exceeding sorrow came over Him and how He prayed. Externally, you can see no sign of the mighty power of the Spirit, but the Spirit of God was there. And even so, while you are feeble and fighting and trembling, with faith in the hidden work of God's Spirit, do not fear, but yield yourself. And when you do yield yourself in absolute surrender, let it be with the faith that God does now accept it. That is the great point, and that is what we so often miss, that believers should be thus occupied with God in this matter of surrender. Be occupied with God. We want to get help, every one of us, so that in our daily life, God will be clearer to us. God will have the right place and be all in all. And if we are to have that through life, let us begin now and look away from ourselves and look up to God. Let each believe, I, a poor worm on earth and a trembling child of God, full of failure, sin, and fear, bow here. And no one knows what passes through my heart. I simply say, O oh God, I accept your terms. I have pleaded for blessing on myself and others. I have accepted your terms of absolute surrender. While your heart says that in deep silence, remember there is a God present that takes note of it and writes it down in his book. There is a God present who at that very moment takes possession of you. You may not feel it, you may not realize it, but God takes possession if you will trust Him. God not only claims it and works it 
and accepts it when I bring it. But God maintains it. God maintains your surrender. That is the great difficulty with many. People say, I have often been stirred at a meeting or at a convention, and I have consecrated myself to God, but it has passed away. I know it may last for a week or for a month, but it fades away. After a time, it is all gone. But listen, it is because you do not believe what I am now going to tell you and remind you of. When God has begun the work of absolute surrender in you, and when God has accepted your surrender, then God holds himself bound to care for it and to keep it. Will you believe that? In this matter of surrender, there are God and I, I a worm, God the everlasting and omnipotent Jehovah. Worm, will you be afraid to trust yourself to this mighty God now? God is willing. Do you not believe that he can keep you continually, day by day, and moment by moment? Moment by moment, I'm kept in his love. Moment by moment, I've life from above. If God allows the sun to shine on you moment by moment without intermission, will God not let his life shine on you every moment? And why have you not experienced it? Because you have not trusted God for it, and you do not surrender yourself absolutely to God in that trust. A life of absolute surrender has its difficulties. I do not deny that. Yes, it has something far more than difficulties. It is a life that with men is absolutely impossible. But by the grace of God, by the power of God, by the power of the Holy Spirit dwelling in us, it is a life to which we are destined and a life that is possible for us. Praise God. Let us believe that God will maintain it. Some of you have read the words of that aged saint who on his 90th birthday told of all God's goodness to him. I mean George Muller. What did he say he believed to be the secret of his happiness and of all the blessing which God had given him? He said he believed there were two reasons. The one was that he had been enabled by grace to maintain a good conscience before God day by day. The other was that he was a lover of God's word. Ah, yes, a good conscience is complete obedience to God day by day and fellowship with God every day in His Word and prayer. That is a life of absolute surrender. Such a life has two sides. On one side, absolute surrender to work what God wants you to do. On the other side, to let God work what he wants to do. First, to do what God wants you to do. 
give yourselves up absolutely to the will of God. You know something of that will, not enough, far from all. But say absolutely to the Lord God, by your grace, I desire to do your will in everything, every moment of every day. Say, Lord God, not a word upon my tongue but for your glory, not a movement of my temper but for your glory, not an affection of love or hate in my heart but for your glory and according to your blessed will. Someone says, Do you think that's possible? I ask, What has God promised you? And what can God do to fill a vessel absolutely surrendered to Him? Oh, God wants to bless you in a way beyond what you expect. From the beginning, ear has not heard, neither has the eye seen what God has prepared for them that wait for Him. 1 Corinthians 2, 9 God has prepared unheard of things, blessings much more wonderful than you can imagine, more mighty than you can conceive. They are divine blessings. Oh, say now, I give myself absolutely to God, to His will, to do only what God wants. It is God who will enable you to carry out the surrender. And on the other side, come and say, I give myself absolutely to God to let Him work in me to will and to do of His good pleasure as He has promised to do. Yes, the living God wants to work in His children in a way that we cannot understand but that God's Word has revealed. He wants to work in us every moment of the day. God is willing to maintain our life. Only let our absolute surrender be one of simple, childlike, and unbounded trust. God blesses when you surrender. This absolute surrender to God brings wonderful blessings. What Ahab said to his enemy, King Ben-Hadad, My Lord, O King, according to thy word, I am thine and all that I have. Will we not say to our God and loving Father, If we do say it, God's blessing will come upon us. God wants us to be separate from the world. We are called to come out from the world that hates God. Come out for God and say, Lord, anything for you. If you say that with prayer and speak that into God's ear, He will accept it and He will teach you what it means. I say again, God will bless you. You have been praying for blessing, but do remember there must be absolute surrender. At every tea table you see it. Why is tea poured into that cup? Because it is empty and given up for the tea. But put ink or vinegar or wine into it, and will they pour the tea into the vessel? And can God fill you? Can God bless you if you are not absolutely surrendered to Him? He cannot. Let us believe God has wonderful blessings for us if we will but stand up for God and say, Be it with a trembling will 
yet with a believing heart. O oh God, I accept your demands. I am yours and all that I have. Absolute surrender is what my soul yields to you by divine grace. You may not have such a strong, clear feeling of surrender as you would like to have, but humble yourself in His sight and acknowledge that you have grieved the Holy Spirit by your self-will, self-confidence, and self-effort. Bow humbly before Him in the confession of that and ask Him to break the heart and to bring you into the dust before Him. Then, as you bow before Him, just accept God's teaching that in your flesh there dwelleth no good thing, Romans 7:18, and that nothing will help you except another life which must come in. You must deny self once and for all. Denying self must every moment be the power of your life, and then Christ will come in and take possession of you. When was Peter delivered? When was the change accomplished? The change began with Peter weeping, and the Holy Spirit came down and filled his heart. God the Father loves to give us the power of the Spirit. We have the Spirit of God dwelling within us. We come to God confessing that and praising God for it, and yet confessing how we have grieved the Spirit. And then we bow our knees to the Father to ask that He would strengthen us with all might by the Spirit in the inner man, and that He would fill us with His mighty power. And as the Spirit reveals Christ to us, Christ comes to live in our hearts forever, and the self-life is cast out. Let us bow before God in humility, and in that humility confess before Him the state of the whole church. No words can tell the sad state of the church of Christ on earth. I wish I had words to speak what I sometimes feel about it. Just think of the Christians around you. I do not speak of nominal Christians or of professing Christians, but I speak of hundreds and thousands of honest, earnest Christians who are not living a life in the power of God or to His glory. So little power, so little devotion or consecration to God, so little perception of the truth that a Christian is a man utterly surrendered to God's will. Oh, we want to confess the sins of God's people around us and to humble ourselves. We are members of that sickly body. The sickliness of the body will hinder us and break us down unless we come to God. We must, in confession, separate ourselves from partnership with worldliness, with coldness toward each other. We must give ourselves up to be entirely and wholly for God. How much Christian work is being done in the spirit of the flesh and in the power of self? How much work, day by day, in which human energy, our will, and our thoughts about the work 
is continually manifested, and in which there is little waiting upon God and upon the power of the Holy Spirit. Let us make a confession. But as we confess the state of the church and the feebleness and sinfulness of work for God among us, let us come back to ourselves. Who is there who truly longs to be delivered from the power of the self-life? Who truly acknowledges that it is the power of self and the flesh? And who is willing to cast all at the feet of Christ? There is deliverance. I heard of one who had been an earnest Christian and who spoke about the cruel thought of separation and death. But you do not think that, do you? What are we to think of separation and death? This. Death was the path to glory for Christ. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. The cross was the birthplace of his everlasting glory. Do you love Christ? Do you long to be in Christ and yet not like him? Let death be to you the most desirable thing on earth, death to self and fellowship with Christ. Separation. Do you think it a hard thing to be called to be entirely free from the world and by that separation to be united to God and His love? By separation to become prepared for living and walking with God every day? Surely one ought to say anything to bring me to separation, to death, for a life of full fellowship with God and Christ. Come and cast this self-life and flesh life at the feet of Jesus. Then trust Him. Do not worry yourselves with trying to understand all about it, but come in the living faith that Christ will come into you with the power of his death and the power of his life. Then the Holy Spirit will bring the whole Christ, Christ crucified and risen and living in glory, into your heart. The fruit of the Spirit is love. I want to look at the fact of a life filled with the Holy Spirit more from the practical side. I want to show how this life will reveal itself in our daily walk and conduct. Under the Old Testament, you know the Holy Spirit often came upon men as a divine spirit of revelation to reveal the mysteries of God or for power to do the work of God. But he did not dwell in them then. Now, many just want the Old Testament gift of power for work. But they know very little of the New Testament gift of the indwelling spirit animating and renewing the whole life. When God gives the Holy Spirit, his great object is the formation of a holy character. It is a gift of a holy mind and spiritual disposition. And what we need above everything else is to say, 
I must have the Holy Spirit sanctifying my whole inner life if I am really to live for God's glory. You might say that when Christ promised the Spirit to the disciples, he did so that they might have power to be witnesses. True, but then they received the Holy Spirit in such heavenly power and reality that he took possession of their whole being at once and so fitted them as holy men for doing the work with power as they had to do it. Christ spoke of power to the disciples, but it was the Spirit filling their whole being that worked the power. I wish now to dwell upon the passage found in Galatians 5.22. The fruit of the Spirit is love. We read that love is the fulfilling of the law, Romans 13.10. And my desire is to speak on love as a fruit of the Spirit with a twofold object. One is that this word may be a searchlight in our hearts and give us a test by which to try all our thoughts about the Holy Spirit and all our experience of the holy life. Let us try ourselves by this word. Has this been our daily habit to seek to be filled with the Holy Spirit as the Spirit of love? The fruit of the Spirit is love. Has it been our experience that the more we have of the Holy Spirit, the more loving we become? In claiming the Holy Spirit, we should make this the first object of our expectation. The Holy Spirit comes as a spirit of love. Oh, if this were true in the Church of Christ, how different her state would be. May God help us to get hold of this simple heavenly truth that the fruit of the Spirit is a love which appears in the life. Just as the Holy Spirit gets real possession of the life, the heart will be filled with real, divine, universal love. One of the great causes why God cannot bless His church is the lack of love. When the body is divided, there cannot be strength. In the time of their great religious wars, when Holland stood out so nobly against Spain, one of their mottos was, Unity gives strength. It is only when God's people stand as one body, one before God in the fellowship of love, one toward another in deep affection, one before the world in a love that the world can see. It is only then that they will have power to secure the blessing which they ask of God. Remember that if a vessel that ought to be one whole is cracked into many pieces, it cannot be filled. You can take one part of the vessel and dip out a little water into that, but if you want the vessel full, the vessel must be whole. That is literally true of Christ's church. And if there is one thing we must pray for still, it is this, Lord, melt us together into one by the power of the Holy Spirit. Let the Holy Spirit, who at Pentecost made them all of one heart and one soul, do His blessed work among us. 
Praise God. We can love each other in a divine love, for the fruit of the Spirit is love. Give yourselves up to love, and the Holy Spirit will come. Receive the Spirit, and He will teach you to love more. God is love. Now, why is it that the fruit of the Spirit is love? Because God is love. 1 John 4, 8. And what does that mean? It is the very nature and being of God to delight in communicating himself. God has no selfishness. God keeps nothing to himself. God's nature is to be always giving. You see it in the sun and the moon and of the stars, in every flower, in every bird in the air, in every fish in the sea. God communicates life to his creatures. And the angels around his throne, the seraphim and cherubim, them who are flames of fire where does their glory come from it comes from God because he is love and he imparts to them part of his brightness and his blessedness and we his redeemed children God delights to pour his love into us why because as I said God keeps nothing for himself from eternity, God had his only begotten Son, and the Father gave him all things, and nothing that God had was kept back. God is love. One of the old church fathers said that we cannot better understand the Trinity than as a revelation of divine love. The Father, the loving one, the fountain of love, the Son, the beloved one, the reservoir of love, in whom the love was poured out, and the Spirit, the living love that united both and then overflowed into this world. The Spirit of Pentecost, the Spirit of the Father, and the Spirit of the Son is love, and when the Holy Spirit comes to us and to other men, will he be less a spirit of love than he is in God? It cannot be. He cannot change his nature. The Spirit of God is love, and the fruit of the Spirit is love. Mankind needs love. Why is that so? That was the one great need of mankind. That was the thing which Christ's redemption came to accomplish, to restore love to this world. When man sinned, why was it that he sinned? Selfishness triumphed. He sought self instead of God. And just look, Adam at once begins to accuse the woman of having led him astray. Love to God had gone. Love to man was lost. Look again. Of the first two children of Adam, the one becomes a murderer of his brother. Does that not teach us that sin had robbed the world of love? Ah, what a proof the history of the world has been of love having been lost. There may have been beautiful examples of love even among the heathen, but only as a little remnant of what was lost. One of the worst things sin did for man was to make him selfish. For selfishness, cannot love. 
The Lord Jesus Christ came down from heaven as the Son of God's love. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. John 3.16 God's Son came to show what love is, and he lived a life of love here on earth in fellowship with his disciples, in compassion over the poor and miserable, in love even to his enemies. And he died the death of love. And when he went back to heaven, whom did he send down? The spirit of love to come and banish selfishness and envy and pride and bring the love of God into the hearts of men. The fruit of the spirit is love. And what was the preparation for the promise of the Holy Spirit? You know that promise as found in the 14th chapter of John's Gospel. But remember what precedes in the 13th chapter. Before Christ promised the Holy Spirit, He gave a new commandment. And about that new commandment, He said wonderful things. One thing was, Even as I have loved you, so love ye one another. To them his dying love was to be the only law of their conduct and fellowship with each other. What a message to those fishermen, to those men full of pride and selfishness. Learn to love each other, said Christ, as I have loved you. And by the grace of God they did it. When Pentecost came, they were of one heart and one soul. Christ did it. For them. And now he calls us to live and to walk in love. He demands that though a man hates you, still you love him. True love cannot be conquered by anything in heaven or on earth. The more hatred there is, the more love triumphs through it all and shows its true nature. This is the love that Christ commanded his disciples to exercise. What more did he say? By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. John thirteen thirty five. You all know what it is to wear a badge, and Christ said to his disciples in effect, I give you a badge, and that badge is love. That is to be your mark. It is the only thing in heaven or on earth by which men can know me. Do we not begin to fear that love has fled from the earth, that if we were to ask the world, have you seen us wear the badge of love? The world would say, no. What we have heard of the Church of Christ is that there is not a place where there is no quarreling or separation. Let us ask God with one heart that we may wear the badge of Jesus' love. God is able to give it. This Reformation audio track is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. SWRB makes thousands of classic Reformation resources available, free and for sale, in audio, video, and printed formats. Our many free resources, as well as our complete mail-order catalog, containing thousands of classic and contemporary Puritan and Reformed books, tapes, and videos at great discounts, is on the web at www.swrb.com. We can also be reached by email at 
swrb at swrb.com by phone at 780-450-3730, by fax at 780-468-1096, or by mail at 4710-37A Avenue, Edmonton, that's E-D-M-O-N-T-O-N, Alberta, abbreviated capital A, capital B, Canada, T6L3T5. You may also request a free printed catalog. And remember that John Calvin, in defending the Reformation's regulative principle of worship, or what is sometimes called the scriptural law of worship, commenting on the words of God, which I commanded them not, neither came into my heart, from his commentary on Jeremiah 7.31, writes, God here cuts off from men every occasion for making evasions, since he condemns by this one phrase, I have not commanded them, whatever the Jews devised. There is then no other argument needed to condemn superstitions than that they are not commanded by God. For when men allow themselves to worship God according to their own fancies, and attend not to his commands, they pervert true religion. And if this principle was adopted by the Papists, all those fictitious modes of worship in which they absurdly exercise themselves would fall to the ground. It is indeed a horrible thing for the Papists to seek to discharge their duties towards God by performing their own superstitions. There is an immense number of them, as it is well known, and as it manifestly appears. Were they to admit this principle, that we cannot rightly worship God except by obeying his word, they would be delivered from their deep abyss of error. The prophet's words, then, are very important when he says that God had commanded no such thing and that it never came to his mind, as though he had said that men assume too much wisdom when they devise what he never required, nay, what he never knew.